you know, we've seen a bunch of different narratives come and go over the over the last couple of months. The first of which was like this whole DPEG event with like USDC, right? Right. Um, and then that sort of highlighted the need, like all of these people like relying on basically everybody's relying on USDT, USDC, and to some extent die right now, which is also backed by USDC partly, right? Right. So so all of these people are like right now are betting and, and using their primary means of payment in crypto, which should be a decentralized space and using something that's completely centralized. And then finally, there was this, this, this uh, scare event, right? Right. <laughs> the whole uh, you know, bank banking thing crisis going on and then liquidity crisis and, and some of the money was stuck, right? That, that USDC kept in the bank. And then suddenly people saw, oh, is this DeFi? Like it's not really DeFi if, you, if, if you're using stable coins that are completely dependent on some centralized system and it has all sorts of regulatory risks. So that's like, that was like one of the, we were already building the product at the time, but that was like, it kind of validated our entire vision that we were building towards, yeah. yeah. to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. All right, I'm excited today because I've got uh, David Garay from Raft. And uh, David um, has already created um, an innovative platform uh, in the space and has now um, created a new product uh, around that project that's called Raft that looks uh, really interesting and uh, like a really good opportunity. So David, thanks for joining us. If you could um, give everybody like a brief intro to you, you know, where you're from, what you've been doing, how you got here, all that good stuff. Yeah, sounds good. Hey, Brad. Um, thanks for having me again on the podcast. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, a quick intro about myself. So uh, my name is Dave Garay. I actually come from like a legal background. So I used to be a lawyer. I went to university in the UK and then I did like a training contract at one of the big law firms um, in London, uh, moved over to Tokyo, worked at yet a different law firm for a couple of years. I did mostly like derivatives and structured finance, which was a interesting time, uh, especially, you know, combined Japan with the legal work. And then I was working right. like 16 hour days every day. <laughs> um, crazy, uh, crazy uh, backstory. And then sort of like when COVID started, or even before COVID started, I, I left that and sort of uh, started at a, at a different DeFi project as sort of like a, a head of operations. Um, then after that, we came together with my co-founder um, and started Tempus, which was, and you know, today to this day still is a fixed income project on Ethereum. Um, the way that that worked is like, it's, uh, you can 
you know, deposit your uh, compound interest bearing tokens or other like lending tokens or stake ETH, and that you could get a fixed yield on it, or you can speculate on the future yield. So if you think the yield will go up, you can take a bet on that. Or if you think the yield will go down, you can just fix your yield and then you continue to get that fixed four point something percent. So it kind of catered to people with different risk appetites. Um, we've been working on that project for, you know, we were talking for more than a year. Um, but then as sort of the DeFi yields collapsed and the interest rates in the traditional finance world went up, uh, we decided that there's no product market fit there because people didn't really want to want to fix a 0.5% yield on compound, right? Like it didn't really make too much sense if it's like if yeah. it's like 0.5 variable or if it's a 0.5 fixed or 0.4 fixed because like at that point, like it, you know, didn't really. That's painful, man. Yeah, I get it. Exactly. I just, that's brutal. Yeah. So back in the day when, you know, like compound yields were like 20%, just like there was so much money pouring into the space and it was like speculating and markets were going up like crazy at that point there was like a a great opportunity but then sort of like when the yields sort of started to go down suddenly that appetite uh went away so what we decided to do is we rebranded tempus into a a, a multi-product studio that builds multiple products not just focused on this one product and stay razor focused on the fixed income side but instead we wanted to use our existing resources to branch out into different products and build not just this thing that that didn't have product market fit at the time but also uh deeper feed into different product lines that have greater potential so you can use our existing resources in a better way nice i like that i what's interesting is this is not an this is not a market that's easy to pivot in right um so it, no, it's not yeah most teams stay in like one 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 place right so they like yeah if they start to build something they raise money for it and then there's no way they they leave they don't they don't pivot into a different place they they kind of just stay in that razor focused sharp on that one thing even though uh, it should should be written off at that point right so we right. were like okay let's you know let's go for it it's a difficult decision especially since you have a you know a large team you have more than 20 people so in order to get everybody on board and make sure that everybody follows the new vision um, is not an easy thing to do internally either. But like ultimately everybody sees that it's for the best and then everybody's happy about it. So that's what happened on our side too. So it's completely fine. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it takes first it, you know, you're kind of out there, you've, you've pre presented this brand, you have people using something or maybe some community involved, engaged, whatever. And it's, it's not an easy thing to do. And then just technically, you know, normally the idea of pivoting is, well, that's not true. A, a lot of pivots are something completely new, but sometimes it's a, it, it's less of a pivot and more of a, just a ch minor changes to functionality, which is difficult from a technical perspective. But in this case, I really like this model of, Hey, we've got, you know, a, a top-notch development team. We understand this tech we've built in this space. And if we turn this into a studio where we can create and crank out products that we believe the market needs it's great and the the other side of that is is you know that product will have a use again in in the bull market next bull market right yeah, so exactly you yeah. know and it's ready and it's done and it's like ready to be deployed again when whenever we set up new pools and then suddenly you know uh, market a little bit and then suddenly it has a use case straight away so um we have worked on it in the sense like you know that we have built a new ui for it in the meantime we have you know improved their analytics page we have done a lot of simplification on the UI side. So it's like, it's really easy for people to just like get a fixed yield. You just put in your stake ETH in there and then 
bam, you're like, you know, you're farming at a fixed yield over the next one year in like a single transaction. So it can be really simple for people. And we've made those improvements already. But yet again, like it's it's not not the right time to put all of our existing resources into that. Um, so that's how we came to this this new thing, right? Like um, Raft is like the primary product that we're working on right now. Um, and you know, we've seen a bunch of different narratives come and go over the over the last couple of months. The first of which was like this whole DPEG event with like USDC, right? Right. Um, and that sort of highlighted the need, like all of these people like relying on, basically everybody's relying on USDT, USDC, and to some extent die right now, which is also backed by USDC partly, right? Right. So, so all of these people are like right now are betting and, and using their primary means of payment in crypto, which should be a decentralized space and using something that's completely centralized. And then finally, there was this 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 uh, scare event, right? Right. With the whole uh, you know, bank banking thing crisis going on, and then liquidity crisis, and and some of the money was stuck, right? That that USDC kept in the bank, and then suddenly people saw, oh, is this DeFi? Like it's not really DeFi if you if if you're using stable coins that are completely dependent on some centralized system, and it has all sorts of regulatory risks. So that's like. That was like one of the, we were already building the product at the time, but that was like, it kind of validated our entire vision that we were building towards. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've, I have um, constantly complained over and over again that, um, you know, any protocol, any stable coin that has a backdoor to blacklist things is not exactly decentralized. Right. So it's a threat to the ecosystem. Uh, and, you know, I'm not any kind of maximalist on any level of anything, but we we can't make the bet on that. And the problem is, is all of the other algorithmic stable coins um, all have a huge dependency on USDC because USDC was smart enough or lucky enough to come in at the time of DeFi summer and the collapse of other products to actually swoop in and become the primary stable coin of DeFi, which is a critical component. So um, I think you're right. I think the timing couldn't have been better for you guys to have those things happen. Um, and for people to start to kind of say, wait a minute, this is not what we necessarily need, right? It opens the eyes of people that haven't been thinking about these things. So that's fantastic. All right. So tell us, tell us the concept of raft, how it came about. Um, and then let, let's get into how it functions, um, and why you guys think it's a superior model. Um, I love that there's a lot of, um, stake teeth involvement in, in, in the way this thing functions, but go ahead and give us the kind of overview elevator sure. pitch guide of what you guys have built. Yeah, yeah are sounds good. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, I can do that. Um, so, so Raft is a protocol that lets you take out loans of R, or native stablecoin, single letter, <laughs> single letter coin, which doesn't really exist anywhere, but we were like, okay, let's go for it. Um, yeah, I like it. Which is called R, right? So R is our stablecoin, and you can take out a loan of R against stake ETH collateral. So what you can do is you can deposit, let's say $10,000 worth of stake teeth into our smart contracts, keep the entire staking yield. So we don't take, we don't skim off the top, right? So you keep the entire staking yield and then you can borrow our native stablecoin R against it for now for completely free, right? Uh, we have gone with the approach of like making the protocol free for users in the beginning, similar to what Uniswap did you know, with their fee model to make sure that it scales to uh, to to like a great level of adoption, and then later on, once it gains adoption, then we can discuss and have a discussion about putting a actual borrowing fee on it. So 
the benefit of it is like what what's happening here i mean a good way to conceptualize it is like you have state teeth that the value of that should be going up you know over time and over time because they keep getting the staking yield and what you're doing through the protocol is you're subdividing that state teeth into dollar size chunks right and then you get the dollar size chunks out and then you can use it across DeFi. you can use it for whatever you want and the state teeth keeps burning in the background right um one of the approach that is that i mean the difference here uh with a bunch of other uh, stable coins out there like frax or die is that r is a single collateral stable coin right so right there's no other types of collateral there there's no usdc there's no um stability module that lets you swap it for usdc and to maintain the peg it's all maintained by just the stake teeth and the hard peg and soft peg models that we have uh, to keep make sure that the price stays at like a dollar. Okay, so so what you're saying is basically because you have this one thing ETH that's staked ETH, um, you can maintain that price correlation to one dollar and the value of that um, because you're just issuing it against the ETH that people are staking, right? And putting it. Yeah, the that's market. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. And so that's what we're doing. It's like a. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, like it's um, it's the the model that the model that we kind of promise to people is that one R is always redeemable for one dollars worth of worth of stake ETH, right? So we maintain the dollar on the bottom side. We maintain the peg by allowing redemptions to happen. So what happens there is that if the price of R goes below a dollar, then you can redeem somebody else's collateral and you can take one dollars worth of staked ETH for that one R, sell it, and then that will make the price go back to a dollar. Um, so that that this way we always keep the promise that one um one R will always be redeemable for one dollar's worth of staked ETH. That's awesome. If um if I'm staking ETH um and I get to still earn my um stake my ETH that I earned for staking it, um is that um does that become reflected in the in the value of what I have staked? Uh, or does that come out separately to me into my wallet? In other words, does that help improve the value of what I have in to reduce the liquidation risk uh, for what yeah, I have? Yeah, it does. Wallet? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we, what we do is we take, um, so we, we, the collateral that the contract uses is wrapped state teeth. So basically the number of the wrapped state teeth that you have in that's locked remains constant, but the value of it keeps going up because it accrues the staking yield. So in the background, you keep earning the yield so the position's value should be going up and your risk of liquidation should be going down as a result. Right, right. Um, so it improves your 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 borrowing position as time goes on, you know. Yeah, borrowing a, a complete collapse in the price of ETH or, or anything yeah, exactly, like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you know, you're always gonna be at a, um, provided that the markets function well and stake teeth, you know, provided that, you know, that there's no other risks um, with uh, stake teeth. So the price doesn't detach from ETH itself. Uh, you're always going to be better off by using staked ETH as collateral as if you were just using ETH because the value should be going up consistently compared to ETH. So you're always at a, at a slightly better position, but there's always price risk, obviously, uh, because the ETH position can fluctuate and it's up to every user to make sure that they're staying within the within the, the limits so that they're not liquidated. Yeah, and what are the what are the limits that we can that somebody can come in and, and borrow against wrapped with? I mean, um, so the collateralization ratio is 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 very low. So it's one hundred and ten percent. The way that we we can achieve that is that by using instant liquidations instead of using 
um, for example, MakerDAO's um, model, which is which is uh, the auction model, right? Which takes a little bit longer. So they have a longer period over which they liquidate and the user will not be liquidated for their entire position. What the compromise that we have taken is that you can stay closer to the 110%, but once you cross that, basically you lose the excess collateral. So you lose that 10% mm. and because your position gets taken out immediately, uh, this is just to incentivize that liquidations take place because we don't have a lot of buffer, right? It's just only 10%. So all the liquidations are instant. Right. So, so, but you're saying it's, it's, it's only shaving off the liquidation level to get you to hundred percent again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's okay. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I like that. And I think, yeah. I think the average user appreciates that model uh, rather than everything. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think like there's more risk once you get like to the low level, but if you, you know, we're 120, 130, um, you can easily keep an eye on it and say, oh, well, you know, like if there, there's a big dump in the, on the day, like 20% down, you just like make sure that, you know, you're, you're stale within the bounds and then nothing bad happens and, um, you'll be fine. And this is what actually allows us to, um, to go and, and get you leverage on your state teeth. So right. one of the primary use cases where we are going to see here is Basically, there's this like, you know, the whole staking narrative and everything else. Um, there are a lot of people and there's a lot of appetite for people to leverage up on their stake teeth, right? Because they want to get, um, either they want to, you know, they're just long on ETH and they, they want to be more long. And this allows them to be long on stake teeth, not just the ETH assets itself. So that basically multiplies your staking yield at the same time as you get a multiple times exposure to the Delta as well. Right. So, so because it's only 110% quarterization ratio, right? People can leverage up to 11X using this platform. Right. Uh, and if you contrast that with like Aave or Maker, that's only like 2.5 to 3.5X maximum. So it caters to a different audience as well. And then the beautiful thing about it is that you can do it in a single transaction, right? So you don't have to deposit and then borrow again, swap again, redeposit, right. borrow again and fold uh, because of the system that we designed that uses like flash mint um, of, of R, the, the stable coin, you can basically do this in a single transaction. So you can do it in like one go, you can deposit your stake teeth, you just select the multiplier, you just say, oh, I want 5X. Right. Uh, pull the slider, execute, done. You're, you're, you see your liquidation price, you see everything, you see your new staking yield that accrues as a result. So if you're, you know, 5X leverage is like 20% yield, but in exchange, you're going to be liquidated if the price goes to like, I don't know, $1,200. Right. So it's like a, you know, so that, that sort of should cater to a big audience. What we've seen is like MakerDAO in Maker and in Aave, I think collectively there's like 2 million um, stake teeth that's being deposited this way for this purpose. So you can see like there's like billions of dollars of appetite to do this. Yeah, yeah. There's and we just make it way potential. easier for people, you know, yeah. Absolutely. Well, it, it, just for everybody listening that maybe hasn't familiar with kind of lending and borrowing in this space and what you mean by 5x or, or 11x, the basic concept is this is typically in these protocols like this, you would come in, you would lend, let's say, in this case, the stake ETH, and then you would get the R and then you would swap it for more stake ETH. And then you would stake the stake ETH, you would borrow, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And you keep repeating that cycle. You guys are just automating that. You're like, let's cut out the yeah. extra steps. We'll do all of that for you. You tell me the um, the the level that you want to get to: five x, three x, ten x, eleven x, and we'll take care of it all in one swoop, right? So you're yeah, maximizing exactly. what you had. That's great. That's uh, yeah. I think that's a really smart model. Um, 
in terms of kind of how you're approaching this for for you guys is this a is this a model of um did it start off as a model of hey we want to put out a better stable coin or did it start off as a model of we want to create a better lending protocol i think it started as a stable coin but at the same time we realized that um there is so much appetite just for that the protocol can be used for i would say it has two different use cases right as you summed it up like one of it is just like the stable coin right just using the stable coin for multiple purposes you borrow for free right keep your staking yield uh, if you're long ETH, like you just take the money use it for whatever farm buy nfts like buy a house right you can do right. whatever you want with it and then you pay back later right um and then you don't pay there's no borrowing fee if you want to borrow in TradFi right now it's like you know i don't know how much it's going to cost you it's like five percent six percent whatever it is right so what i would like to see is actually real life applications for people to you know they put the safety ETH in and they use that as collateral to buy a house or buy a car and then repay it from their salary right just swap right. it back into r and then repay it while they keep while the collateral is a productive asset so they keep earning on that so that's like the stable coin itself, the stable coin side. So you have a stable coin that's like decentralized and then native, uh, and it's not backed by any sort of fiat backed stable coin. So it's just like a completely decentralized stable coin. On the one side, this was the primary sort of uh, vision for the, for the protocol. But then we realized that because of the correlation ratio requirements and all these innovations that we came up with in the flash minting side and everything else, we can offer this product at the same time that allows people to just leverage up on their stake teeth and do so through a very primitive, easy UI because there's so much appetite based on the numbers that we see in like Maker and uh, and Aave. Yeah, no, I mean, and and there's an appetite for staking Ethereum, right? And yeah, and this exactly, whole LSD yeah. market. And um, it, in terms of this, I mean, I'm almost, I'm, I started angling in my head as you were talking about it, um, the payback model. So right now there'll be no interest, there'll be no fees, it's just, come in and 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 the liquidation is all automated this isn't human liquidations where somebody has to come in and initiate the liquidation uh no so the liquidations will be handled through liquidation bars that will run ourselves okay. and also our partners will run it in the beginning but it's also going to be it's also an open source thing so people can anybody who wants to participate in liquidations or redistributions or anything like that will be able to just run their own bot or run you know whatever and it's going to be a free market model so liquidations will the liquidation profits will go to whoever liquidates first so we just want to make sure that we democratize it as much as possible to to, to make sure that liquidators actually compete with each other so that liquidations always happen instantaneously that's good and and the idea is on the profit model is that you're gaining uh you're gaining on you're gaining ethereum um on at a discounted rate essentially exactly so what happens there is that um the liquidation profits that we give people is basically calculated based on a formula but we take people back to 100 percent, right so we skim off the top so what happens is like if you liquidate somebody at 109 percent equalization ratio then depending on the amount that you're liquidating at that point the liquidator can keep nine percent to 4.5 percent of that right right so it's like an it's like a healthy um a healthy you know like let's say liquidating uh ten thousand uh ten thousand um dollars worth of stake teeth and at that point you know your profits would be 452. i think at that point it would be like 900 dollars, right? right so there's always a lot of incentives at that point for people to come in and, and liquidate and it's a free market model so for anybody can do it um 
So we just, you know, want to make sure that it happens all the time consistently. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, in you know, one of the things that kind of came to mind as I was thinking about staking the ETH and earning my, my earning the Ethereum from staking and having a loan um, is, did you guys ever consider um, kind of the self-repaying model like Alchemix from the earnings from the staked ETH as opposed to, you know, yeah. uh, just yeah, piling yeah. it into the value? Yeah, exactly. So I think um, in the beginning, I think like that will probably come in the next few months after we launched, but we have already planned improvements on the UI side. So you could basically, instead of, you know, having to repay your loan of R, you can use the staking yield to repay your loan. So the smart contracts would automatically take, take the profits from the staking and reduce your outstanding loan size periodically over time. So you can always just click a button that checks how much you've earned from staking, swap it into R and then repay the R loan from that. So your outstanding loan just keeps decreasing, decreasing, decreasing until it eventually it goes to zero. I so that's that. like, that's like, you know, like another model that people just like, oh, that's, it's kind of like a self-repaying loan in one sense, because the staking yield is being used to repay your loan. So yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a cool model. No, I, I love that model. And I think, I think some folks will go for it, especially if you could set like a parameter, like I want to take instead of hundred percent, I want to take 50% of my yield from staking and apply it to yep. the principal. Right. Um, th that to me makes a, a ton of sense. In terms of, so, so at this architecture together, you got the system together. I'm assuming you're going through the whole audit process. Um, obviously this is a, lending is a nice attack vector in this space. So uh, I'm sure that's something you guys are concerned about, but then I think you have an even bigger job and, and that is right. Market acceptance, right? So you're already doing the smart thing. You're not charging interest or fees right now. You're letting people um, get into this. Um, you're showing that you have a stable coin that is 100% backed by staked ETH. Those are all positive things. What, how much work do you have on your plate coming up for like integration, getting protocols to utilize it, getting yield farms and swaps to use it, uh, liquidity, whatever. I mean, that's a big job, yeah. right? Yeah. So no, how, yeah, how are you guys a, thinking about approaching that? Yeah, that's a huge job. But I think before we can do that, we need to make sure that there is sufficient liquidity around the $1 mark. So that when people come in to use it, they can automatically off-ramp, they can provide liquidity, they can do whatever. And we have to incentivize people to do that because it's, we all know how DeFi works, sure. especially in the early stages, since it's a more risky, it can be perceived despite, you know, we have a trail, we're going to have a trail of bits audit. Despite that, people will, you know, if it's a new stable coin, there's already always more risk to take on because it's a new thing on the market. People don't know how it works. It's not familiar yeah. with it. Um, so we have to incentivize some of the pools that we're going to set up in the beginning. Uh, to make sure that people actually come in there and we actually have like really big plans on this side and this is basically how 90 percent of my time is being spent here because we're going to use something like you know several thousand several hundreds of thousands of dollars per month to incentivize multiple pools uh multiple liquidity pools so um nice. this is to make sure that people can first of all leverage up on their stake teeth in like a capital efficient way so that they're not gonna pay a lot of it in slippage, right? So it's going to be right. like a very, if you want to get a, want to get, you know, 10 X on your, on your hundred thousand dollars worth of stake ETH position, that's a big swap, you know, like it's like a, a big swap between R and stake ETH. So we need to make sure that we have like a lot of liquidity in that pool. So people don't get, um, they don't, they don't pay a lot in the price impact part of it. And on the other side is like, we have to, you know, build liquidity around the $1 mark. And then how people do that is they pair their own native stablecoin, which is R, 
with another stable coin or with a, with a three pool sort of thing on curve and then gather as much liquidity there, incentivize that liquidity so that people can natively swap in and out, in and out um, and put more incentives in there. So we're gonna have incentives on two different kinds of pools, which will add up to a very sizable chunky number. So that will be you know, a very high APR. And then because of that, we hope that more people will come in and start minting R as a result to take advantage of these opportunities to farm just by you know, uh, being participants, LPs in those pools. And that will set the foundation for the entire protocol because that means that there's all this liquidity around $1. So you can easily, you know, if you want to mint a million dollars worth of R, just do it. You can swap out of it. You add USDC straight away. Or, you know, and then you can take it out into your bank account and then you can use it for real life applications, pay no interest, keep your, keep your stake piece locked and then use it in real life. And then later on you repay it or, you know, whatever you want to do. Um, and then this is like sort of like the first primary step and it involves like, you know, bribing gauges on different plat platforms using our own native tokens to to uh vote for emissions in different protocols so it's like a complex job and requires a bunch of different actors to come together and also like coordinating the timing of this with the launch is like a huge logistical endeavor so launching a stablecoin project is like a nightmare on the logistical side but i'm sure it's going to be worth it in the beginning in, in the end um so that's that's like the first step and then the next step is like to make sure that people can use R without off-ramping to a different stablecoin, right? Right, right. Um, and, and that sort of comes in with making sure that it has like real life use cases. So that's like, you know, a really hard business development job and, and marketing job to make sure that we partner with um, NFT marketplaces and, and um, people who, who take it as a means of payment, right? Right. Um, so that they don't have to off-ramp from it. They can borrow R natively they can use that R straight away without having to swap it to DAI or USDC or something else. So it's like a big effort and we have a lot of news coming up on that side. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And look, I mean, I, I think it's a big job, but I, I think this is going to be a compelling offering in the market. Did you guys raise a, a separate round of money for this project or is this uh, something you're funding uh, out of what you guys already had with the other project? Yeah, we, we were funding it out of the, uh, the Tempest budget, but I think uh, there might be uh, an opportunity for us to actually raise a round once after we launch. So um, we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think like uh, for now we have, luckily we have enough funds to, to fund it out of pocket. That's great. That, that's excellent. What, um, what, what's our general timeline right now for, for Raft launching? Um, so we have an audit with Trailer Bits that's uh, happening right now. Uh, that's going to wrap up in a, in a couple of weeks, I think like by the end of April. Uh, once we're done with that, I think it's just going to be a matter of like setting up all the timelines and setting up all the pools. Since it's a stablecoin project, I think like the launch is somewhat different to other projects because what we have to do is you have to deploy the contracts, test them, test the liquidation box, um, you know, set up our, our, our pools in the beginning. Uh, and then we have to vote for more incentives to be put on those pools, put our seed it with our own initial liquidity, seed it with our own R, and then, you know, ask for our partners to seed it with their own, own money. And then, you know, we would announce that the protocol is now live at the point where it has already like several million dollars of liquidity. And that's when people can go come in, mean their own, and then provide liquidity to the pools, take advantage of the high APR opportunities, and then kind of bootstrap the protocol from there. So I think like that would probably happen at the end of May. 
Oh, wow. Okay, good. I, that The way you were talking about it, I thought we were looking yeah, at yeah. like nine months from now. So that's... <laughs> no, 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 no. You guys are going to no, get a lot of done, a lot yeah, done over like the 20, next month and a half. 20, we have like 20-something people working on it full-time. So it's like... That's um, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what's the kind of... As you guys go out to talk to partners, uh, potential partners for the project to have at launch or post-launch, um, are, are people skittish about stable coins right now or uh, or do they get it, right? Like if you when you talk about it i think the i think that the the wind is blowing in our favor uh we have a little bit of a tailwind behind us because of all these events that have happened and i think the first of it is like this whole usdc dpeg event i think people are a little bit skeptical of more centralized alternatives right now so i think like that kind of tilts the i think that that kind of favors us a little bit right now um that the other side is like security risks right people are always very conscious about like oh where are you guys getting audited by but I think once we mentioned that it's like a tier one auditor that you just never have, never had any protocols hacked, right? Then that kind of satisfies them. And that's like a good, good answer. And if you have insurance on top of that, I think that that is more than good enough for most people. Um, the other thing is like, um, you know, the whole collateralized versus non-collateralized model. Like the, people don't want to hear anything about the UST sort of stuff, but obviously it's a whole different model that we have. Uh, stake teeth backing over collateralized stablecoins. So the risks of the risks are completely different than something like uh, with the you know the whole Terra USD stuff. So right. once people get, get get comfortable with all these facts, then at that point it becomes um, it, it, different conversation altogether, right? Because sure. then they're like you know uh, happy with the whole model and the way that we thought about it and all the research that we've done, and then we show them the docs that we have, which are extremely comprehensive. So. So I think like that based on that, people do have, do get satisfied that this is a legitimate project. And then also like we make it easier for people by having no borrowing fee in the beginning. So you only pay the gas fee, you can try it out and you can, you know, make money for, you can, if you want, you can farm for, farm for five days, use R for whatever, and then repay the loan. You tried it out and then you're good to go. Um, so I think like we try to remove all of the barriers out of people's way to make sure that that it actually takes off and then it will be used. That's great. Um, do you and um, do you guys envision taking on other uh, staked ETH protocols? Uh, so we do have the option to add other other kinds of collateral later. I think like we're leaning on um, the staked ETH as the as the primary collateral as as the only collateral for now because um, it is, I think it's a number eight coin by market cap at this point. So there's like more than $11 billion of stake teeth that's being circulated right now. So I think like right. that by itself is more than sufficient to bootstrap the protocol. Although in the future, uh, I think we will have the opportunity to, um, on the smart contract side at least, to add other types of collateral later, which could be other types of stake teeth as well. So um, I think that will come later and it will depend on, you know, what people decide and what people want and also our own, own assessments about like, you know, decentralization risk and, and volume and price feeds and everything else. I think it needs to be a very careful discussion when we onboard different types of collateral for any stablecoin project and let alone this one, which we're, you know, extremely like security conscious about. Yeah, actually, I meant um, in in terms of you guys aren't providing the staking mechanism, right? You're just taking deposits of 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 staked tokens into the protocol and so yeah. what i was really getting at was you know there's probably i don't know i've seen seven to ten new protocols that are doing staked ETH in different ways 
ether fi swell those kinds of guys w will you be taking their their tokens is as collateral of staked ETH in the protocol? yeah i think that remains to be seen i think yeah we'll have to we'll have to discuss with those individual teams and if we do decide to take on board different types of collateral then we do want to see um you know at least some sort of incentives being contributed by those protocols because i think Makes like sense. the system itself is beneficial to to their users because they, there's no other alternative way that people can leverage up this easily right. this fast and with this much liquidity so it basically improves the competitive advantage significantly for a certain type of staked ether compared to other ones if we integrate with them so yeah. it's going to be a you know a conversation with those teams and and our we also have to be comfortable with them and they have to be comfortable with us yeah. And then, um, you know, we'll see. Now, I, look, I think the reason I brought it up is it's the low, for me, it's the low hanging fruit, right? It's like, sure. you yeah. know, that it makes sense for them and they'll be motivated, I think, to, to integrate. So, yeah. And, and I think like another thing is like sooner or later, we'll probably integrate native ETH as well, in addition to state ETH. Okay. Because that's like a, it, it is, it caters to a different audience who doesn't want to stake, who, who don't want to stake their ETH for whatever reason for a few days, because then they have right. to withdraw it, right? Which can take a, up to a week and they don't want to swap it through Curve or something like that. So if you just want to borrow against ETH on the same terms as the stake ETH holders, you know, by all means, it adds no risk on our side. Like for sure. sure, obviously it has more liquidity. Um, so if you want to do that, you can obviously do that. So I think that will be another use case later on. Nice. And um, Ethereum only, or do you envision someday deploying this onto another chain um, and utilizing their staking mechanisms? Uh, I think that could be, a, we could have a discussion about it on different chains. Uh, personally, I don't really see too much uh, adoption in other staking derivatives right now other than Ethereum. And I think Ethereum is going to dominate the the volumes, the headlines, the the liquidity um, and outstripping any other uh, staking protocols. If you look at like the Lido numbers, I think like more than 99% of their liquidity is staked ETH. And yeah. there is some liquidity in like, you know, Polygon stake tokens and, and stuff like that. But it's like a very negligible number. It's basically like $50 million versus like $11 billion. So <laughs> you don't, we don't see, you don't see that much. Yeah. It's not my, maybe not necessarily yeah. worth all the work. Yeah. No, uh, let's see. I mean, it's a conversation to be had. I think like, if we, we were going to bring this to another EVM chain, which is a standalone chain, and they have their own staking mechanism, and there's like a good working staking derivative there, and if the, this model is actually validated after we launch, uh, by all means, we can you know expand across multiple chains and bring different versions of R uh, backed by different versions of staked tokens backed by another network uh, somewhere else later. But we have to see where the adoption is. Now, I, I could. The reason I brought it up is I could definitely see other chains being. Um, wanting it yeah, because yeah. it's a great incentive right um for their chain security their their network their growth um having a mechanism like this that could be tied into staking would be would be pretty powerful yeah i agree but also like in general like even if it's not a staking derivative it's just a native token of any other network um that is used to you know for gas fees or whatever else and maybe later on we're going to have separate tokens for l2s right so maybe um the tokens that are actually used for for gas payments instead of using ETH, for example. Right. So let's say there's another EVM chain and they use their own native token as the as the fee payment fee payment mechanism. Then we can consider integrating that and then deploying an L2 native coin into that ecosystem. So there's no bridge risk there. You use the native coin uh, that's used for payments. 
And then maybe there's going to be a staking version of that. So you can integrate with that as well. I think the key here is that to, to choose collateral that are both capital efficient and decentralized and to make sure that we don't rely on any of the, any of these other alternatives uh, that are centralized and just keep steer clear of the USDC backed crypto uh, collateralized stable coins, because at that point, you know, what are we doing? Yeah, exactly. What's the point? Right. I totally yeah, agree. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, getting engaged with uh, what you guys are doing, are you guys hiring? Are people joining the community? I'm assuming there's no uh, like governance token necessary for this project. So, no, no, there isn't one. Um, uh, I think like what we're what we're doing is um, we are expanding the team, but we're being like kind of cautious. I think sure. what one of the things that I've been um, proud about is like. We haven't actually decreased the team size since the start of the bear market and nice. nobody has actually left the team. So I think like people are the team and the investors are very much on board with the, with the vision that we have. And then we're kind of managed to build through this entire bull market with like full steam ahead. Yeah. And finally we're going to come out of it with like some tangible results results like very soon. So it's a uh, good to see, you know, what were those conversations like? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to disclose them if you don't want to, but I'm just kind of curious what the conversations were like with your original investors, right? For this pivot. I mean, I, I got to believe at some point they were all kind of saying, okay, bear market, this thing's not going to, this thing's not going to drive a whole lot of growth right now. So they were probably uh, looking for, you would be, you would be surprised. You would be surprised. Really? I think like, yeah, I think like we are in a very lucky position. I mean, I'm the kind of person who, I mean, you know, the investors, can have a conversation with them, but ultimately it's, we decide what we do, right? So even sure. if we, even if they say, oh, I prefer if you build this, like, you know, no, we're just we're building this. So there's really not, no much, no much say they have in that. And also like, even, I mean, obviously we take their opinions on, on board, but they were luckily extremely supportive as well. So they were not nice. like, oh, you have to keep working on this that has no product market fit and just keep pushing it. Maybe something will happen and don't, don't write something off that you worked so long on. No, they were like, okay, we're fully with you guys. You know, if you think this is the best thing great. to do, I mean, we're, we're behind this and uh, happy that you guys are doing this. I think we think it's a great idea and let's go and let's see how we can help you. So I think like from our perspective, we had a, we were in a very lucky position with, with the investors. I know a lot of other teams who are not in the same shoes because, um, you know, the investors are like, oh, you started building this. We invested in this kind of project. We don't want to have exposure to that one. And I can kind of see from some perspective why that is, because a lot of teams who decide to pivot, um, they end up having, the investors end up having a conflict with one of their existing portfolio companies. Ah, sure. And then suddenly like there's sort of a conflict there. So they kind of have to put up like barriers, but eventually that always happens. So there's really no way as an investor to, to uh, prevent that sort of situation. So um i think like if you're you know a founder or somebody listening to this like just feel free to go for whatever you whatever you feel is the best thing to do because um i think you know the people who are building are the best ones to know and it's not necessarily the investors who know like what what is the what is there a need for right now i think it should always be driven by the team well that's great you hit my my last question which is advice for other founders so that was that was a good uh, all in on that <laughs> and frankly if i were an investor i would want you uh, doing this, right? I mean, the, the, when, when I'm looking at a protocol, it's here's the bonus for me as an investor, right? Got this protocol that's built bull market returns. This thing's going to blow up yeah. and they're building, you're building a product that can tie in to what that is. And you're building a product that's needed in the space and you're repurposing the team that you've built that obviously is pretty loyal to the project overall. 
and filling a need that's actually really exciting right now, stable coins and, and staked Ethereum. So from my perspective, if I'm an investor, I'd be more shocked about the investors that are like, no, no, don't yeah. mess with that. You know, unless there was a yeah, conflict, yeah. I get the conflict argument, but yeah, I, 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 I agree with that. I think like it also is important to point out that at this point, um, especially investors who come in at like C stage or like pre-series A or like, you know, some sort of smaller round like that, they invest in the founders, they invest in the team. Right. They don't really invest in a specific product. They're like, okay, these guys are smart. They can figure it out. Here's our money, take it and then build something cool. And we trust you. Yeah. You, you know, you have your own judgment um, and then we're familiar with your thought process. So if you think that this is the way to go, like we're, we're behind it. So I kind yeah. of respect that. You know, in an I think I would actually range. welcome yeah. it on their, in their shoes because so few can be, so few will pivot in this space. Right. Yeah, so, right. yeah. you know, yeah. they just watch a zombie project as they yeah, it's true. Yeah. hope, hope they don't abandon yeah. it completely. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And then the hope and then pray that the bull market will return and then hopefully they can exit, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, I'd be like, yes, thank you, David. Thank you for doing something. Appreciate <laughs> it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic, man. Um, website address people should go to is there is there some way to get notified when you guys are getting close to launch join a discord or or what yeah yeah i think i think it's uh, just keep an eye on raft.fi which is our website and then follow the raft uh raft twitter uh give us a give us a like follow, join our discord i think uh it's raft underscore fi is our twitter uh so you can you can keep in touch with all the developments there uh i'm also pretty active on twitter so you can you can follow me as well i also tweet a lot about Raft and all, all sorts of developments in DeFi as well. That's excellent. I, I'm excited for this thing. I want to get in there and earn some of those sweet APRs and yeah. and leverage some of my staking. So that's uh, that's great, man. I'm excited for you guys. <laughs> Congrats on this. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great to talk to you, Brad, always. You too, you too, man. Thanks so much. Thank you.